Well, hey, Providence family, I hope that you are warm and safe. I hope that, uh, um, that you have a great day. I'm so glad that uh, you, in your uh, just fantastic day of snow, that you paused uh, to join us. And so if you would, let's bow as, and, uh, and uh, pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace in all of our lives. We thank you for the snow as a great reminder to each and every one of us God, that your grace in our life is just like that, that though our sins are like scarlet, that you make us as white as snow. And Father, we thank you for your kindness to us that leads us to repentance. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessings, Lord, of heat and of shelter. We thank you for the blessings of a family of faith. And God, we also thank you for your word, because your word, the Bible tells us that you looked at us in our great need. And you revealed to us and not only revealed, but you gave to us exactly what we needed. And that was Jesus Christ. We thank you for your kindness to us. And as we now, Lord, pause and as we look at your word, we thank you for this prophet Isaiah. We thank you for what he wrote, what it means to us. We thank you, God, that what we find here in Jesus is a gift that meets our needs perfectly. So would you give us the gift of belief? Would you help us to grasp what you're saying? And God, I pray for mercy that you would give us courage to apply it to our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in the ninth chapter of Isaiah, and so I would love for you to head there. Uh, All of us live in an age that is absolutely stunning when it comes to power, and yet the power that we see and feel all around us actually creates this irony because each and every one of us are so weak in so many different ways. I mean, if you think about it, we build these amazing jets, these, these, these absolutely fantastic fighter jets, and they, and they soar through the air, and they turn, and they have the great capacity to do tremendous, powerful damage. We have the great power at our hands and in our minds to build these buildings that, that, um, that are so tall that it seems that they actually uh, pierce through God's heavens themselves. We build these supercomputers like the one on the screen right now. It's called the Summit. This computer can actually do 200 megatons of of small calculations, and it can do it within a single second. And why this is so um, fascinating is because although there's such power in the world, and although we share such vast information, every single one of us find ourselves tremendously weak in so many different ways. We find ourselves weak in saying, I'm sorry. We find ourselves very weak when it's time to love one another, to wait, to forgive one another, to control our temper or our tongue, or to say no to sin. Every single one of us are weak. And at this time of year, when we give gifts to each other, wouldn't it be amazing if this year that you received a gift that actually met you at the point of your weakness? You see, you and I, we give gifts to our friends and to our family members. And our hope is that those gifts will actually meet a need or a longing in their heart. And what we find right here in God's word is that's exactly what God did for us in his son, Jesus Christ. This is what he says to us, starting in verse six. He says, for to us, a child is born and to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder 
and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will establish it and uphold it with justice and with his righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, most of the sermons that we do here, what we do is we find a text and we unpack it and it adds so much flavor to the rest of the Bible. It helps us grasp and see all kinds of things that he's written from page to page. But what we find in this text and in these sermons is the need for us to actually lean on the Bible as a whole and for the Bible to cast light on what we learn here. Because we learn two things here, that he's a mighty God. We want to focus on that name, the name Mighty God. What does this mean for us? I think this is really important. And so I made this really simple. Okay. And so there's two major points. The first is this, is that Jesus is the mighty God. And you need to understand that this is not a small thing. In fact, this is the crowning jewel of all Christian doctrine. The fact that Jesus Christ is the mighty God. You see, every faith system has had a man who promises a way to God. But in Christianity, the one promising the way is God. It's so unique. It's so valuable. In fact, it's so reliable. If you and I were stuck in this jungle and it was so dense and it was so deep and we were told that home, that the only safe place was a thousand miles away and there in front of us, there were several guides who lined up and they say, I know the way there and I know the way there. No, I know the way there. And suddenly there was the one who lives there. We would choose the guide simply because the one who lives there is the reliable God. And he is the one who is the great guide. And this is exactly what we find here in God's word, is that Jesus Christ came promising the way to him, and he himself is God Almighty. In fact, what we find here in this passage, when he says that his name shall be called Mighty God, It's just a chapter later, he explains just a little bit more of what he means. There we find over in chapter 10, verse 20 and 21. And it says, in that day, the remnant of Israel will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. And so we know that there's good news coming because what it says is that is that there will be a day when God's people, that they will look to the Holy One of Israel. They will look to the Lord God Almighty And then the very next verse, the very next sentence, he explains to us who this holy one actually is. He says, a remnant will return to the mighty God. So what Isaiah is saying is that the son whose name is mighty God is also the Lord God Almighty, the God of the entire Old Testament. So if you've ever read the Old Testament and you saw there that God is speaking, You have to understand that this is Jesus Christ himself. He is the mighty God. It's Jesus Christ, we're told in Matthew chapter 4, is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah. There it says that Jesus withdrew up into the north region of the nation called Galilee. And it says there that he did this so that what would be spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. That the people dwelling in great darkness, that they will have seen a great light. You see, this son, this mighty one, is Jesus Christ. One day in John 
chapter 10. What we're told there is that, is that his own enemies, the Jews, they came up to Jesus and they said, we demand an answer right now. Would you tell us, are you the Christ? Are you from God the Father? And Jesus' response to the Jewish people and those leaders was this. He says, I and the Father are one. And they knew exactly what this meant because the very next verse says that they went over and they grabbed stones in order to stone them. And he says, why are you stoning me? Why are you acting like you're going to do this? And they said, it's not because of the good deeds that you've done. It's because you, a mere man, are claiming to be God. God. Shortly thereafter, just a few days, Jesus claimed to be the only way to the Father, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And Philip, his own disciple, came to him and he says, listen, I understand that you say that you are the only way to the Father, but let me tell you, would you just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Just, just show us that this is valid, that what we're doing is staking our life on something that is absolutely real. Absolutely consequential, that it's the right path. And Jesus said to Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the father. In other words, any attribute that we find within scripture that is given to God himself is actually found in perfection in Jesus Christ. This is why the New Testament says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell You see, you and I, we use words in order to help other people understand what's going on in our heart and in our mind. And John chapter one, verse one says that God did the same thing. It says there in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus Christ was the final message from God. And it says there that Jesus is not only with God, but he is God. And what John is doing here is he's pointing us to the doctrine of the Trinity. That God in scripture has revealed himself as father and son and Holy Spirit. Each with totally distinct attributes and yet having no division in person whatsoever. Jesus is God. And not only is Jesus God, but the Bible says that he is mighty. In fact, the word there for mighty can also be translated hero. Or champion. See, a champion is one who's left standing after a conflict when all the others have either failed or fallen. Jesus is our champion. You see, unlike that wizard in the Wizard of Oz that's propped up by fear, Jesus Christ is not propped up by fear or by worship. He is who he is, and he has no rivals, he has no equals. Jesus is the mighty God. The second thing that I want you to see here in our text is very simple as well. And that is that Jesus is our mighty God. Look what it says there once again in verse six. It says, for to us, a child is born and to us, a son is given. What this means is that whatever Jesus is, whatever gift Jesus is in and of himself is available to to us, for Jesus was given for us as a gift. And as I think about the Bible, and I think about what we need as a church family, even this Christmas season, the fact is, is I can think of tens, 20, and 30 different, different parts of the Bible that speak to his might that we are in need of and that 
It's all available to us. But this Christmas season, as I prayed and just meditate on this text, I believe that there's three areas that I just want to remind you of what Jesus means to us and what it means for us that Jesus is our mighty God. The first thing is this, is that Jesus controls our broken world. Every one of us understands that this world is broken. Just today, I found out a friend has been diagnosed with cancer. It's a broken world. And yet we look out at this world and what we see is tremendous beauty, tremendous complexity, so much order that takes place in the natural world. And if you look at the various explanations of how this came to be, you can look at two different places. There's the account from someone that doesn't believe in God that would say that life is simply random matter and energy that gives life or that gives rise to life. And so what this belief is that with no intelligence and no purpose, no plan, no enzyme whatsoever, All of this random energy and all this random matter evolved over millions of years into complex, interdependent living organisms. And some had this mysterious thing called human consciousness. A consciousness that we could think and we could dream and we could cry and we could relate and we could talk and we could remember. But the Bible's account says, That life doesn't come from a random act of matter and energy. No, it says that life comes from mighty Jesus giving rise to matter. Meaning Jesus himself is the life and his life is the light of men. You see, the Bible says all things were created through him and for him and in him all things hold together. The fact is that the pace and the pain in life leaves every one of us feeling tremendously vulnerable. Almost as if we're on a train and that train is busted and it's, it's now just on a, on a track and it's a runaway train. Sometimes life feels like that. Life is broken and the train is running. But the Bible says that Jesus is in the conductor's chair and he is not trembling, that all things hold together in him. And I want to give you one example in the story that we've already heard read from Micah chapter five. God Almighty told us that his son would be born in the town of Bethlehem. And yet Mary and Joseph were not from Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth. And so how is it going to be possible for God to fulfill his promise to all of humanity that his son would be born in Bethlehem? What would God have to do in order to get a very pregnant Mary in order to travel from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem in order to give her baby at the perfect time that God had ordained? The Bible says that God Almighty, that he directed the heart of Caesar, the king like a stream of water to call for a census that would force Joseph to bring Mary to Bethlehem at the very time that Jesus was to be born. You see, the fact is, Providence, I simply cannot account for all of your pains. I can't account for all of my pains. But I assure you that Jesus has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten me. And he is in control of the world. 
The second thing I want you to see is as our mighty God, Jesus, he defeats our enemies. And we really have two really tremendously strong enemies. But you know what's interesting? Jesus had enemies. At his birth, Herod tried to kill him. When he began his ministry, Satan himself tried to tempt him. And when he began his ministry and was in the midst of it, the Pharisees tried to erase him. And yet Jesus Christ prevailed. And the reason is because Jesus Christ is our mighty God. You see, it's interesting when you think about that if it's true that he is our mighty God, then what it means is that Jesus can also prevail over our enemies. And this is exactly what he did. You see, first John chapter three, verse eight says that the reason that the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so just for a moment, I want you just to imagine a perfect world, an absolutely perfect world, perfect peace, perfect health, perfect relationships, perfect harmony, perfect worship. This was the garden that we read about in the first two chapters of the Bible. And then the Bible says that Satan came and he tempted us. And it says that we, that our forefather and mother, Adam and Eve, that they sinned against God, broke fellowship with him, and suddenly brokenness flooded the entire world, all of God's design. And the saddest thing is it says that nothing was spared. Our relationships were not spared. Our health was not spared. The world was not spared. Our worship was not spared. Everything broke. And do you know who did not grieve at this loss? The Bible says Satan did. Satan did not grieve this tremendous loss. In fact, what the Bible says is that Satan sought to chain up the world with lies and deceit in order to keep it broken. So when we sinned against God, we had two amazingly strong enemies. One was the law itself that stands as an unemotional witness of our guilt. And the second is Satan, who loves to stand over us and accuse us as guilty. And so Jesus was born and he lived a righteous life. And then he went and he took our sin and our shame to a cross. And there he died. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And when he rose, all of Satan's chains were busted. And the Bible says that when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, his victory now delivers us from our two greatest enemies. This is what his word says. It says that Jesus Christ forgave us of all our sins by canceling the record of debt. That's the law telling us you were guilty. That stood against us with its legal demands. This he took away, nailing it to the cross. And so one of your enemies, if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are believing in Jesus Christ, was nailed to the cross in the hand of Jesus Christ, our mighty God. And then he goes on and he says, and God disarmed the rulers and authorities. And here he's speaking of Satan himself and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus Christ. And so providence, don't you see? That our greatest enemies in life, the law and Satan himself, they stood against us and they say, guilty, guilty, guilty. 
When we trust Jesus Christ, he takes away all of our sin and he gives us his righteousness. And now these two enemies have been vanquished. The law now confesses our innocence. And Satan himself, it says, that he has been disarmed and put to open shame. The third thing I want you to see is that as our mighty God, Jesus strengthens our hands for adversity. He knows that we are too weak to forgive. He knows that we are too weak to keep our vows. He knows that we are too weak to control our temper or our tongue. He knows that we're too weak to not lose it with our children. He knows that we're too weak to wait at a red light with joy. And so what does he do? He gives his might to us. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 29 says, He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. You see, Jesus Christ is the strong tower that will not topple on the day of adversity. Jesus is the one and he calls us to run to him. And do you know how you can find strength, real strength at that point of tension, at that point where you feel so weak And yet, you know, it's something of such importance in your life or in your relationships or in your home. Well, the Bible says in John 15, he says this. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. In other words, Jesus becomes our mighty God and Jesus gives us strength for adversity and how he does so is he welcomes us to be close to him. If you're trying to live life and be strong over these weaknesses in your life without Jesus, I want you to know that it's a dead end. You cannot prevail. And yet what the Bible says is this, is that if we will abide in Jesus Christ, what that means is that we first admit that we cannot save ourselves. We believe in Jesus Christ. We confess him as Lord. And then every day of our life, we run back to him again. And we say, Jesus, you are the mighty God over heaven and earth. You are my mighty God. And I need your power. And I need your strength. I need you right now. I am running to you as my strong tower. I run to you because I believe that if I come to you, I'll find perspective. If I come to you, I'll find the power that I need today to control my temper and to control my tongue and to say yes to forgiveness. I believe that you have the power in all these things. And so I come back to you once again. And so Providence on this snowy day, let me encourage you with two simple applications. The first is this, is let's believe in Jesus as our mighty God. If you've never trusted him, even there in your own home, your office, wherever you're at, you can bow your head right now and you can pray a prayer to God himself, Jesus Christ. You can say, dear God, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I believe what the Bible says is true. And that is that I have sinned against you. I have broken fellowship with you. I need you. I admit that I cannot save myself. But I believe what you did, and that's that you sent your son to me. And he died for me. 
And he was buried in a grave and he rose from the dead. And therefore he has power to save me from my sin. You can confess him as Lord of your life today. And the Bible says that he will forgive you of all of your sin. And all of that might that's at his disposal can be poured out in your life in the areas that you need it the most. And for those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, let me just encourage you. Let's worship. Let's worship Jesus Christ as our mighty God. You see, Christmas is not just a holiday. It's a time to respond and worship to the greatest truth in the history of the world. And that is that the one who came to show us the way to God was God himself. And he loves us. And he is mighty and he is powerful and he has vanquished not only his enemies, but ours as well. You see, our heart is like a fire hydrant that's stuck in the on position. It never stops worshiping. What this means is that whatever part of our heart is not worshiping Jesus, it is still worshiping something. And so let me encourage you today. As you think about the fact that Jesus Christ came as our mighty God. He alone is worthy of our worship and he alone can fill our hearts with joy and peace as we worship him. So I want to pray for us now. So if you would, let's bow. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your kindness in sending Jesus Christ to us. We thank you that in Jesus Christ, all the attributes of who you are, they're Seen in bodily form. We believe Jesus that you are our mighty God. That you are merciful and gracious. That you are kind and holy. That you are righteous and sovereign. That you are the eternal one. You are the creator of our life. We believe what we've seen in your word. We believe God that you have the power over this world. That you created it into existence, and you hold it together with your spoken word. God, we believe that you have the power over our enemies because you demonstrated that you had the power over yours. We believe, God, that you strengthen our hands for adversity. And so I pray for those in our church family who are neck deep right now in adversity. God, that just as you promised that you would give power to the faint and to those who are tired, would you increase their strength? And so, God, we look to you in faith. We thank you for Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.